Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz musician and producer Sean Mendelson. He is the son of Peanuts TV producer Lee Mendelson and a huge part of overseeing the first time ever release of the complete Vince Guaraldi soundtrack to a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. The album includes the original recordings that comprise the 13 song cues of the special, plus another nine bonus or alternative tracks that have never been released or heard before. The recording features Vince on the keys. Seward McCain on electric bass, Mike Clark on the drums, Tom Harrell on the trumpet and bass arrangements, and Chuck Bennett on the great trombone. The soundtrack was produced by Sean and Jason Mendelson. We get into this recording, the lore of Vince, jazz history, and so much more. Enjoy this interview. Hey, it's great to meet you. Thank you so much. It's an honor and a pleasure to talk about what a monumental ongoing project with Vince. So thank you. I appreciate you having me on. I love talking about Vince Guaraldi. Yeah, man. You know, I remember one of the very early shows that I did. I really dug into how he actually got into the Peanuts franchise. And there was a story about him getting a call on a bridge in San Francisco. And he was just confused. And then he went with it. And then it just became his legacy. So, yeah, that story is that my father, Lee Mendelson, who brought a Charlie Brown Christmas to Charles Schultz and convinced him to make an animated special initially was going to work on a documentary about Charles Schultz in 1963. And while my dad, Lee Mendelson was crossing the golden gate bridge, he heard cast your fate to the wind, which was a huge jazz popular jazz song at that time, uh, especially in the Bay area. Cause Vince Guaraldi was from the Bay area yeah. and having heard cast your fate to the wind, he said, this is the guy I got to use in the show. And what's ironic about that is Schultz is more, Charles Schultz is more interested in classical music and if it went a different way it would have been the score would have been more traditional classical songs but our, our pieces but my dad convinced him to do the Garaldi thing. So how did Vince feel about it? What was his ultimate feeling on being you know kind of I mean I'm sure in the beginning he wasn't sure where it was going to go but it's turned in to this legacy this iconic sound. That's a great question so so Vince was already a successful musician even before Cash of Fate to the Wind. In the 50s and 60s, he played with Cal Jader and other great jazz icons of the time. And so when he got tapped for it, it was immediately a, a, a great professional and personal relationship between my dad and him and the rest of the team, Bill Melendez, who did the animation. And from everyone we've talked to, we've talked to a lot of the living sidemen, all, mostly drummers. There's like nine drummers we talked to who played, toured with him and played on these Peanuts specials. He, he never took it for granted. He loved it. And even though jazz is a long form, you know, um, improv, improvisational based uh, experience, and he, he was truncated to, you know, 30 second cues, 10 seconds sometimes, or he, sometimes if two and three minutes are on there. He, I think he looked at the limitations as an opportunity to get accessible melodies out quickly. So he never complained yeah. about it. He loved it. And of course, he got tremendous success from it, notoriety from it, um, and appreciation for Linus and Lucy and Christmas Time is Here, which my dad wrote the lyrics for. And all these things, um, I, I think, contributed to his, he felt a warm feeling about it. And he could have not played it out when he played it live. Sometimes the guys that play with him said he'd play Linus and Lucy at the beginning of a set. I remember Mark Rosengarten said this, or then he played again a different way. He played it in a Latin style or 
a pasta doble type of a thing later in the in the evening. So he he loved catering to the fans and and he did 15 specials, you know. So that was from 1965 to 1976. Over 11 years, he worked with my father, you know, cranking out at least an, what ends up being more than one special a year. Wow. You know, the thing that's most fascinating to me about Charles Schultz's life is that, you know, it might seem tragic, but to me, it epitomizes the love that goes into a craft. He died the morning his last comic came out. You know, it's fatalistic. And it's interesting you point that out because my dad passed away on December 25th, Christmas morning. And I, I remember getting the call in this house where I'm sitting right now. This is my dad's piano behind me, actually, that I inherited yeah. from him. And um, actually, I, I just put that together. And so there's a lot of things like that. Um, what's the word? Serendipity. That's a word yeah. my dad loved, you know, because this none of this should have happened. When he first made a Charlie Brown Christmas, the executives at NBC said, oh, my, my aunt and uncle hate this thing. They thought it was junk. And of course, it's now revered worldwide for 60, 60 years now almost. Yeah. And so when you mentioned Schultz passing away on his last comic strip, there is this sort of meant to be element to all of this and this cohesive, you know, not to be sappy, it seems like it's all connected. And my dad had a personal and professional relationship. I mean, Garali died in 1976 in his late forties, right yeah. after he did Arbor Day Charlie Brown special. He had a gig in Menlo Park right near where I am in the Bay Area and he passed away suddenly. It was very tragic. Um, but all the way up until the end, he was working with my dad. Schultz worked all the way up to the end of his life with my dad on these specials, you know, endlessly. You, people don't even realize the shows continued all the way to the early aughts with yeah. my father and him working closely together. Um, so there is a lot of connection to it. Um, and and we, we, we love that about it. And the thing that's the, the, that will always be a part of, of Vince and the Peanuts legacy is it's going to be timeless and it's going to be like the Beatles. It's going to stretch on forever and it's just going to attract more people. So my question to you of you being a part of this lore is I'm always fascinated by, you know, the sons and daughters of people that are famous. Like, is it just woven into your DNA that you were going to be a musician? How did this legacy become your torch that you've carried? You know, that's a wonderful question. I appreciate you asking me that. Um, I have three siblings. They all work for my dad's company. They've all actively worked their, their whole adult lives. I'm 43 years old. Just three months before my dad passed, I became actively involved at Lee Mendelssohn Film Productions, which is the record company that put out this and put out all the shows. Um, I shied away from it. I did not like the shadow. I didn't even really like peanuts very much growing up because we got all this free swag and it wasn't really cool in the nineties when I was in high school to be wearing peanuts, you know, gear. So I, I kind of didn't tell anyone. I, it wasn't publicly known. It wasn't even privately known. I took five years usually, but before I told my friends about it, but in 2019 and just after my dad passed, there was a huge shift in my psyche. I had a real close connection, especially the last few years of my dad's life with him. I'd go out to lunch with him all the time. I probably connected with him more at that point in his life than any other point. And now I feel a, a strong connection to my dad and Vince Guaraldi's legacy. I, I curated this music. I helped produce this, this album here. And I take such pride in it. I, I'm a Nepo baby. You know, there's an article about Nepo baby. Yeah. I now own it. I own it and I wear it and I'm now here publicly telling people, hey, listen, I had something to do with this and I, I'm glad we got it out. Because frankly, we might not even have gotten the soundtrack out at all. 
Um, but my brother Jason and I really pushed, uh, and me in particular, I really wanted to get this out for, for the 50th anniversary of the show because it's so great. And as a fan of Geraldi growing up, that never was lost on me. I love Geraldi's music. That part I didn't shy away from. And now I, as a musician, I'm connected to it. And it definitely informs my life decisions and about being a songwriter. I write children's music. I have a musical. But, you know, I always have Christmas time is here. There's no bar higher. It's like the top 40 song on anybody's list for Charlie, you know, a holiday songs. I'm never going to hit that. But I respect my dad in a way that perhaps I didn't really appreciate fully when I was a child or a teenager. So, I, I, you know, now I have an opportunity to really connect all the dots. You know, it's interesting because the jazz elders are always really good about protecting the craft, passing it on to the next generation. And that seems like that's the vibe here is that there's this level of honoring. I mean, you have the chance to honor your father and and his good friend and an iconic comic strip. But I think at the end of the day, it's about preserving this history because it needs to be preserved. It's um, Jazz is one of the, um, the original inventions that came out of this country. That's right. You know, Vince Guaraldi in the 60s, the Beatles were coming up and a lot of traditional jazz guys were, who were at the top of their game in the 50s and 60s. It was the most important music in America at that time as it transitioned to being more rock in the 60s and 70s. Guaraldi embraced it. And even though he was four, in his 40s and the guys that recorded on this, sorry, I keep putting the mirror, Mike Clark, who played drums on it, was a fantastic, still drums. Oh. If you look at Wikipedia, this dude, oh. you know, He's uh, endless yeah. projects. Yeah. And and he he was in his early mid twenties and Vince was in his mid forties when they made this album. And Garaldi wanted Seward McCain, who was a jazz fusion bassist, played with him, toured with him for a decade, and did uh eight of the Peanuts specials. And Mike Clark, who did two or three of the specials uh for, for Peanuts, he wanted these young guys around them. He wanted to push the envelope. He leaned into, you know, what was mainstream. He didn't he didn't take it as an offense. He's still the traditional jazz. He's a great Latin bebop, you know, boogie woogie funk, uh, excuse me, boogie woogie player. He had a nice touch, he even had classical influences, Billy Strayhorn and uh, according to Larry Vokovich and, and, and you can hear it in his music. Um, and so now today we were able to interview, like I said previously, all these sidemen who are in their 70s, 80s, some are in their 90s that played on it like It's a Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, Ronnie Lang played flute on that. and. I am so appreciative of them taking the time to sit down. I've learned so much and gleaned so much. You know, I'm a jazz fan. I'm not as deep uh, as properly you are or other people, but now I have a deeper appreciation. And it's just being able to continue to curate and get this music out to the fans has been the quintessential North Star for us. And it's interesting. Probably Vince was a pretty brilliant guy and understood that for a long time, jazz has been seen as highbrow. It kind of is, is most people get scared off by it, but the essence of jazz is just fun. It's yes. a serum. You know what I'm saying? It's like the yes. first cigarette. It's like, yeah. you know, the first time you have a shot of whiskey, it's this warmth. <laughs> it's this analog glow that goes into your bones and you want it over and over and over again. So the funny thing about all of this is that, that, that I love about even LA studio musicians is that they are putting this genre out in a way that would never be put out before. And it's on a mass level and people like it. Like yeah. people always say, man, I love that, that peanuts album. And it's like, they would never have an exposure to jazz if that wasn't for Vince. And That's Vince, right. I'm sure he knew that somewhere within him. 1965, 
when Charlie Brown Christmas came out, two great pianists who are torch torchbearers, one we just lost this past year or this year, George Winston and David Benoit, who are both great jazz pianists, they were both children. They watched that show and it changed the course of their lives. They became jazz fans because of a Charlie Brown Christmas and then became great legendary jazz players unto themselves. And the thing you mentioned play, when I listened to these cues, because before we made these albums, like a, like Pumpkin we put released last year and, and this one, all these cues are synonymous, not only with the characters in the show, but a feeling of fun and innocence. And like you said, jazz sometimes can get hardened or too traditional. Vince, Vince had this ability to make a very accessible melody over lush uh, jazz chords. And he made it a way that made it that bridge between somebody who maybe was a casual jazz fan and somebody who wasn't. And you hear, on, especially on a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, he's experimenting. He plays guitar on this thing. He was kind of out of his mind, according to half the people we spoke to. He plays guitar and just well enough. And he was in his mid-40s learning to play guitar. And he sings. People don't know that. He sings Little Birdie and Joe Cool off of Not Elected and, and There's No Time for Love. So this guy, all the way to the end, was all about the play. He loved new instruments like the Moog synthesizer, the clavinet, which came into fashion with Steve, Stevie Wonder, the Fender Rhodes. My dad told me he was one of the first people to use these things and implement them in jazz and not, again, not be afraid to play an experiment. And then it gets a little maybe too far for my taste. When you get to a good sport, Charlie Brown, it's super synthesized. And that's the only <laughs> show of the 15 that sounds like of its time, you know, where the yeah. rest of the stuff I think is timeless. You know, and there's that's debatable, but on, on good sport, the synthesizer is like, oh my God, we can, I mean, it sounds as synthy as you could imagine something sounding. And it's, yeah. and it's, I think people like that too, you know. You know, I interviewed Chuck Israels at one point. He was yeah. in the soup with all the the cats, and 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 I was like, "Were you guys cognizant of what you're doing?" Because that '50s era of jazz is still like golden, and everybody freaks out. I do. I mean, the bebop birth, all of the things that were going on, but those guys had no idea. And I wonder with Vince if he was so into the eye of the hurricane, the the center of the tornado, that he was just doing him, and he had no idea how the cultural ramifications of these notes were going to send out into forever as a songwriter myself i i'm fascinated about how he arrived at these melodies and like you said he's across you know when he's writing them he's thinking about the scene he's not thinking about the success he's not thinking about oh i want to write a hit song like other people have to do in the mainstream or or whatever and they don't have even most of them don't have words you know 95 percent of these pieces are compositions so when he called my dad and played him Linus and Lucy over the phone, it was a playful sketch. And my dad said, this is, this is fantastic. Absolutely. Let's, let's use this. And so, um, I, I think, uh, from talking to the side men and trying to understand how anything we could, Seward McCain's my favorite. When he met with him, the bassist, he said, how do you make that in the B section growl? And he literally showed us that Garaldi would smash his palm across the, the the white keys and go up into the black keys so it wasn't a straight that 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 which would be the outline of the chord it was bum, 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 and it created this growl that was fascinating and then when seward mccain showed us christmas time is here which hopefully one day we'll get his documentary out where we film them talking about this he made the great point which i already had sort of surmised these you know c sharp 11 the 13 flat five chords for christmas time is here with 
da, 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 da. You couldn't yeah. have a simpler melody on top. Uh -huh. So if you're looking at analysis, analysis of how he did it, I, I think it's literally simple melody, accessible tune that you can sing back and you know you hear it once, you go and tell somebody else with those jazz chords that keeps it embedded in that thick, lush harmonic world that everybody in the jazz world appreciates. You know, like when I think about Lauren Michaels, like he is Saturday Night Live, he is a creative force. I think about your dad and, and, and the legacy that he played in getting this sound. How did he develop that ear? Because I think people overlook things like that because there's all these people that play on the back end of things. They aren't out front, but he definitely was the one that architected this sound and found it. How did he develop that ear and acumen? You know, according, because I have a half brother, half sister. I'm in my early 40s. They're in their mid to late 60s and they were around. We were all, again, Nepo babies. We all been voices on the peanut shows. So my dad, from my understanding, there's been some different history on this. You know, he was in the mix at the beginning. It was him and his professional friends playing around, right? And so Vince Guaraldi and the sound of that jazz, my dad said, this would be interesting because before that it was all classical music or Looney Tune style. I remember talking to Derek Bang, the expert historian on Guaraldi, uh, and he mentioned this as well, that prior to Charlie Brown Christmas, there was an entire different way that music was associated with with the show and cast your fate to the wind the song that hooked my dad when i talked to my sister she goes that's a melancholy song and i say i find it to be um sweet and innocent yeah. and it's to have two opposing reactions to the yeah. same song there is something in vince garaldi's crafting that my dad heard and when you think about charles schultz because it's innocence but it's layered with that psychology, that pathos yeah. that Schultz was trying to get out and catharsis about the human experience. It it, it complements the the show so well to have that exact dichotomy, this 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 notion of innocence and purity and sweetness, but then also have this underlying adult. You know, there's 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 songs in minor keys on these shows, and so my dad also coupled with that brought in children. Children never did voiceover work before 1965, or at least not on the in your face. Every you know, and then the trombone. By yeah. the way, that's coming up on the next uh, one of the next albums we're releasing. 1967, you're in love, Charlie Brown. They just fell on that in the studio. John Scott Trotter, the conductor, Vince Guaraldi, my dad, Bill Melendez, they're all in there talking about, and and Frank Rosalino, the trombone player. Oh, let's try this. And you hear them say the words, go by the window, Charlie Brown. And they, 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 we're going to release that at some point in the future. But to me, just like all great creative things like the Beatles, you know, they're just doing what they know. Yeah. So these guys get together and they create these juices and it fits and it's its own thing and it is American and it's beautiful. And that just adds to the lore of the wave that, that, that your dad created, because it's true. I remember growing up, there was no jazz in anything. It wasn't until the Peanuts came around. And look how many times we use jazz now. And it is, it really does add an extra level of texture, because I always think that sometimes there's jazz people and there's blues people. Because jazz, to some people, can just sound like this cacophony of things that are just getting thrown audibly into a blender. But yes. blues tends to be a little bit more straight up. But for him to be able to invent that wave and and if charles maybe would have had his way it wouldn't have happened at all so you talk about the root of jazz is that it's a protest music it was 
going against the grain. This is truly the epitome of how jazz became what it is. That's a, Joe, I love that. I love that. That's a great point. <laughs> um, and, you know, you mentioned on the blues tip, my dad, uh, Garaldi came in, he never sung before, or if he did, it was very minimal folk stuff. My, he comes in with Little Birdie for, for this album, Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. And he goes, Lee, I'm going to, I'm going to sing this song. My dad goes, you're a piano, you're a pianist. What are you talking about? You're going to sing this song. And sure enough, he gets on the mic and he does, and in pe most people don't know it. I didn't even know until about six years ago that it's his voice singing Little Birdie and Joe Cool. This guy has got so much soul and he understands the blues just as much as he does jazz. And there's, there's like Blue Charlie Brown, which is real down and dirty sounding. And yeah. he played with guys that brought that blues sensibility too, you know? And so, um, yeah, I appreciate what you're saying about it being, you know, uh, rebellious music. And, and, and there is something to that being utilized in this fashion. You know, it's interesting. Who would have thought Chet Baker would have had the voice he had and would have had the second half of his career? You exactly. Know? No, one, exactly. no one expects any of that. So Speaking I need to make sure. No, no, go ahead. You're good. I was just going to say, I want to give out a shout, shout out to Tom Harrell, who also did the arrangements for Linus and Lucy. He's a great trumpet player at the East Coast. Uh, and he, uh, he he arranged the trumpet and the trombone for Chuck Bennett. And they and the, that's the quintessential Linus and Lucy, because you got Mike Clark playing the funk drums and Tom Harrell's arrangement and trump, trumpet uh, playing on this four minute Linus and Lucy. It's the best version, in my opinion, that exists. So go ahead with I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say that kind of got me off on a tangent. I've interviewed Mike a few times and he's phenomenal. I mean, just yes. what a powerhouse. And then I used to call in before I got into jazz radio. I used to listen to a station in Kansas and I used to win tickets all the time. And I go down to the Folly and I saw Tom Harrell one time and I didn't know who he was. And I was like, wow. I mean, he took the idea of the trumpet and instrumentation to a place I didn't know was even possible. I will, I'll never forget that Tom Harrell concert. You know, everybody's everybody's come played with him or come in contact with him says that dude is out of this world. Speaking of which, Kansas City Orchestra, we just licensed them uh, at the Kaufman Center. It's yeah. near you, right? The Kansas City Jazz Orchestra. They're yes, doing, they're doing a special Charlie Brown Christmas. And I wasn't come on here to promote that necessarily, but they're doing a whole thing. I think it's December, sometime in December, December fifth. I want to say um so check that out as well yes. we give them that they're making their own arrangements i believe but we also have david benoit who did some arrangements for a santa rosa symphony we released all these songs as basically basically jazz orchestrated uh symphonic arrangements and then i think kansas city is doing their own little thing uh as well so keep on the lookout for that i've seen them they're doing their holiday gig clint ashlock and the group they they get in there and knock it out really well they they're that's they're, right they're powerful um so before we, 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 well, this is good. We ran with this quick. I want to make sure that we get the goods in, in here about the yeah. album. Anything you want to throw out, best place to get it, what's going on, yes. you know. We so, uh, you know, our people, we have a distributed co distribution company called MVD. They tell me they're almost sold out uh, already and it's, or it's trending that way. And it's not even Halloween yet. But this is the one here with the, yeah. With the yeah. sticker, is, uh, that's uh, Record Store Day Essentials. It's a special version that comes in jelly bean green. Target has cranberry red, and there's a thousand of those out there. And then there's the standard black vinyl. They all sound the same, so it's just for collectors to figure out what color they want to put on their on their uh, you know uh, player. Uh, and then we also have CD and digital streaming, obviously. But the thing about this album, which is great, 
is I, what I like about all these specials is that Garaldi painted different pictures. There's not one that sounds like the other. Yes, he uses the same themes like Linus and Lucy, Peppermint Patty, but this one is all about Mike Clark bringing the funk, which is the East Bay sound that he and David Garibaldi from Tower of Power helped uh, implement, which is that 60, the and there's yeah. even more on that next special, which is It's a Mystery, Charlie Brown, where they do that popcorning as Mike Clark describes it. Uh, Seward McCain is essential with his electric bass, so it's unusual because they're playing jazz with electric bass, but that was the period of time in the early yeah. 70s that was coming into play. But my favorite thing, as we've discovered these tapes, my brother and I, is you hear how things were created. And we have these short little clips of this thing called Thanksgiving Interlude. He did 17 takes, whereas we compare it to all the other specials, you might do one, two, four, five, and usually two or three takes on average. 17 takes of this 30 second uh, interlude. And we put on, I put on every two or three, you know, it would be too much to put all 17, right? Yeah. So I just picked the ones that showed how he and these gentlemen that he had a great camaraderie with built uh, these, these uh, compositions. And that's us trying to glean. This guy was very secretive about his art, didn't do him any interviews, Vince Guaraldi, but they did it with the 50th last year, um, I'm not the 50th, the, uh, the, the super deluxe version of Charlie Brown Christmas, where you hear all this, you know, endless amounts of versions of these songs. And for me, it's that peeking behind the curtain. And yeah. then we left the counts in, we left the talking in, in this, on these recordings because it's, this wasn't meant to be released as a soundtrack, but it's an experience. And you're getting to hear how Vince Guaraldi sort of approached these things on some level. And his personality, you mentioned earlier, he got these young guys around. Every one of them said all they would do in the 60s and 70s is sit around listening to records. Yeah. And you hear that. You know, you sit around listening to the what's coming out, the jazz fusion, and it comes out in, in the sensibility of the music and a little bit you hear from the way they talk to one another in the studio. Well, speaking of pe peeking behind the curtain, we did that. Thank you so much for opening up, Sean. This has been wonderful, dude. Joe, it's been a pleasure. I loved your questions, and I, I wish you nothing but luck with your, your program. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in L.A., New York City, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Sean for his time, energy, and cool. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.